Section two of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two Winter Days on Braden Part one Fickle Winter Winter is ushered in on Braden often long before dreary November has counted up thirty gloomy days. It sometimes steals upon us in the dull, lifeless fog, shortening the already fleeting days, making the damp nights hideous and the silence oppressive and mournful, as the occasional clangour of the bell-boy far out in the roadstead reverberates across dark dancing wave and marum-clad sand-dune, and the solitary wildfowler, moored in his snug little houseboat in a sheltered creek in the saltings, taking a last look around him, seeing nothing, and hearing only the clamour of a parcel of widgeon busy on the grass at supper-time, and the bleat of the lightship foghorn, slams to his cabin door, puts a bit more coal on the fire, and thanks his lucky stars that he is not among those away yonder manning the ships that pass in the night. Now and again grim winter bursts upon us with gale and flood, churning up the tide as it forces its way up against the wild northwester until the muddy waves roll across the flats in dirty, foam-tipped lines that spend their fury on each other in the channel, or beat up fitfully and broken in a baffled melee upon the sturdy flint walls, tossing up with their last futile effort the wreckage of the torn zostera and the flotsam that quieter tides bore upstream and deposited among it. Sometimes the storm breaks adrift the huge rafts of timber, and flings big bulks disdainfully with the lighter flotsam, and the wild seabird, ill at ease on land or sea, tosses wildly above head, finding no rest for the sole of her foot on the submerged mud-flats, and wearied with her fishing in the hollows of the sea-waves. The moods of winter on this great tidal water are many, and Braden must be visited day after day to see them all. There is the bright, crisp, frosty morning, when the air is keen, and hoar-frost sparkles on the grass-top walls, and glitters on the ragged fish-basket, left by the tide on the rond below. Then there comes the day of drizzle and rainstorm, with big, cumbrous, leaden clouds, molten and chilling, driving before the west wind like floating continents, dented and broken and rifted sometimes with peaks and capes and mountains of snowy white and sickly yellow. On such days the very crows wear a more bedraggled air as they skulk along by the walls, seeking a dinner of carrion, and the gulls sit hunched up on the flats with a woe-begone air. 
then the snow time comes in a wall of cloud with which the north wind covers up all nature as with a pall and one cannot see beyond the fleecy fringing that surrounds him such are the days one experiences on Braden from the time that winter steals on us till its reluctant departure in boisterous march in foggy weather on a foggy day we take our first ramble along the southern wall the slight frost of the morning has been succeeded by a raw and chilling wind that drove in the fog bank and the apex of the wall has softened into greasy mud that burdens our feet with layer upon layer of sticky clay and which in spite of the moisture on the wall grasses refuses to be brushed off on our right is the channel whose farthermost side we can but dimly discern on our left the marshes are soon lost in the grey gloom a fieldfare or two are disconsolately hopping among the fresh cast mole heaps for any stray beetle which may have hastened upwards at the mole's coming and an occasional meadow pipit darts from the ditch side on seeing us twittering its surprise or displeasure at being disturbed from its quest of the spheromidae or hydrabea which are clinging to ditch weeds or climbing the broken reed stems in their seemingly purposeless peregrinations the wall rats the vilest of a vile race which make their home in the banks of Braden and seek their living on the carrion that floats to them run their burrows upward for fear of inundation and for convenience burrow out on the inner and grassy side for the sake of the fresher water in the ditches you will observe their runs leading from their burrows to the ditch side worn into well-defined tracks so rounded that you might run a cricket ball down as truly as you see the ball gliding in a draper's cash ladder out of one of the burrows is sticking a handful of black feathers the tail and wing feathers of a hapless rook some walking gunner wanted to empty his old muzzle loader yesterday he did not wish to return with it loaded as a damp charge might on the morrow lose him a chance at a widgeon or a plover the rook unfortunately came within range and fell a victim to his aim and heartlessness tumbling down a bunch of bleeding flesh and broken feathers like a bunch of rags he described it and the sportsman left it where it fell complimenting his fowling piece and blessing his deadly aim a rat in a burrow hard by heard the shot and knew its purport he licked his paws peered out of his hole and later on mustered up courage and came out he had before connected these strange noises with good suppers thereafter and if he knew any local saws 
one of them must have been you never know your luck he was hunting the walls with the perseverance of a stoat which now and again hunts rats in turn when a puff of wind ruffled the wing of the rook and his keen eye saw it to run up and seize his prize was the matter of a moment and a few minutes labour brought it to his burrow he could not drag it in so he bit through the neck and took the head down then he came up again and set to work upon the carcass why prolong the inferences we lift up the remains by one wing and find scarcely a particle of muscle left on the breast and leg and wing bones the rond or salting as they call it elsewhere is covered with the colourless remnants of the sea scurvy grass cochlearia officinalis it seems strange but linnets and larks appear to be partial to this semi-marine herbage in the winter and flocks of them often frequent it we put up several of either species as we stumble along from a bunch of woolly crowned michaelmas daisies a dozen or more snow buntings take to wing with soft piping notes of protest and settle on the marsh behind us they will come again to the lettuce-like seeds as soon as we are deemed far enough off for safety on the low in the rond the downy seed tufts are wheeling about like tiny ships in a whirlwind they have not fulfilled their mission which was to take the seeds with them and drop them anywhere where the wind might pitch them or the waves fling them up in autumn the rons and walls are gay with the bright purple aster we will go as far as stone corner a projecting point of the walls which marks the end of the tide-worn rond the fog is becoming denser and a short stroll must suffice to-day we do not expect to see many birds for the flats are hidden and the few birds that may be haunting them are silent even the gulls seem as gloomy as the atmosphere there are some lapwings calling on the marsh but we do not see them they are simply piping to keep their fellows in touch with them and comparing notes a patch of white on the bit of water-worn rond attracts attention and our binoculars are at once levelled at it it is unmistakably a gull to all appearances a large grey the immature of the saddle-backed gull on closer inspection we can detect a rat at work upon it and indeed a second one for they fall to sparring a pair of ghouls quarrelling over the dead the death of that bird we may safely place to some sportsman's credit it was not killed outright but fell away badly wounded and dropped in the channel to die miserably and be cast up by the tide and wind 
on jumping a narrow drain we land on the rond and come up to the carcass the rats watching our movements have bolted to their burrows in the walls the gull lies on its back a bunch of bones with scattered feathers lying around it more than two rats have been busy upon it for it is quite fresh the bones picked bare are still red the sternum is enough clean picked for a specimen while the vertebrae of the neck and the skull are entirely divested of flesh even the eye sockets being emptied so well do the brutes clean up their dishes the afternoon is waning and the fog gives place to a nasty drizzle on our way back we are enabled to see across the flats and what a concourse of gulls do we discover notwithstanding the unpleasant atmosphere we are tempted to sit down on the stone wall having first spread an india rubber apron on the edge of it and watch for a little while their doings some of the ancient flints are gay with lichens many of them creeping into the chinks and crannies of the concrete here is the beautiful orange-coloured placodium muvorum and the grey lecanora galactina or something closely allied to it these thrive well on this exposed mile point notwithstanding their frequent deluging by the salt scud from the waves flung by the strong nor'wester let me refer to my notebook entry respecting the manoeuvring of the gulls in front of us november the tenth nineteen o six an immense concourse of gulls in three detachments covering a large area of the flats one lot which consisted mainly of greater blackbacks nearly all adult spread over at least half an acre there were probably fifteen hundred individuals gathered there there was an easterly breeze blowing and all three squadrons sat or rather stood facing the wind at four o'clock their usual time after some amount of chatter a bunch of a hundred flew up making still more noise and then mounted in the air and sped seawards forming a perfect v as they fell into line scattered birds kept drawing up to the main flocks some from the far end of Braden. how conspicuously they loomed up against the sombre background of drab flats and grey lowering sky presently before the first lot had entirely disappeared in the distance another contingent in like manner rose as at some well understood signal and followed the others in v-shaped flight thus went flock after flock to their night's repose on the sea and to their early morning's attendance on the herring nets until by dusk they had all disappeared to return to-morrow to the flats to sleep off their surfeit of herrings when hunger would again set them prowling on the mud-flats 
or on the marshlands to repeat at eventide the same evolutions there were at least six thousand gulls of various ages and species probably seven thousand it is a matter of general observation that the recent years of protection have tended greatly to the increase of the larger gulls the lights of the town twinkle hazily in the downpour as we reach home in time of storm years of constant observation help the field naturalist to make at times very satisfactory forecasts the colour of the water passing up river the force of the current the altered rumble of the surf on the seashore and the movements of birds are all an index plainly printed to him who cares to read it the month of november eighteen ninety seven was a remarkably foggy one and until the end of it a placid one on the night of the twenty fourth i observed a movement among wading birds and heard the golden plover plaintively crying overhead in the darkness i noted in my log this fact with that of the flocking next day of the smaller gulls to the river to feed both denoting as i remarked rain and bad weather close at hand on the twenty eighth a most disastrous gale and flood followed it blew for four and twenty hours the sea breaking through the sandhills at horsey and licking away enormous masses of the cliffs while tide upon tide without an ebb between rushed furiously up braden twirling huge timbers as if they had been straws and flooding houses among them my own warehouses and wharves i did my best damming and banking doorways and drains but to no purpose for the sea-water percolated and oozed through soil and crevice disgusted i went up braden walls to my houseboat it was a fine but wild scene as the waters raced frothing seething and tumbling up the estuary they beat in fantastic waves on the walls whose apex they all but reached flinging the spray in a feathery shower over to the marshes while through rat burrows and cracks in the dyke trickled miniature tinkling streams small flocks of belated knots and dunlins flew wildly round seeking in vain for a flat on which to rest and feed the seagulls had given up the search and gone inland i had to walk bent almost double i saw a female eider duck driven from its northern home seeking shelter under the lee of the wall near my houseboat i could have reached it with a fishing rod a marshman also saw it ran for his gun and promptly killed it some snow buntings and larks fitfully sneaked about at marsh corners as unhappy as the knots a poor little guillemot blown to the marshes 
had been discovered and mutilated by a rat. On the further side of Braden, I could see the waves breaking furiously on the walls where they ran broadside to the wind, and great sheets of water with frothy borders were flung over onto the grassy levels behind. Houseboats, floating high above the level of their protecting saltings, tossed like ships at anchor. The eel-fishers and smelters were safe in port at the quayside taverns, or in sheltered corners near their beloved Braden, discussing bygone gales and floods, comparing notes and figures of past halls, cursing their luck at being kept ashore, whilst they blessed their lucky stars that they were not afloat in cockleshell punt and smelt-boat. Were they given to reading Dickens, these men would canonise Mark Tapley. The wind howled when it rushed among the telegraph wires on the railway, flinging here and there a pole and a signal post across the metals. One post went down as a train came along, and the engine cut clean through it. The houses of the marsh farmers lost many a tile, and tops of many haystacks were roughly shorn off, the hay scattered like feathers. It took me an hour to plough through the blast to the moorhen. We oftener get high tides and floods up river now, for the wasting of the cliffs lying north of Yarmouth allows a sharper set-in of the North Sea currents, and, as I pointed out in a local paper, our commissioners are playing a dangerous game in so eagerly and constantly deepening the harbour mouth. To this lament and others of mine, a well-known county man and an ardent angler replied, On the gale and high tide, I beg to say I am entirely of your opinion. The cupidity of your townsmen will in time swamp your now flourishing water place. The continual deepening of Yarmouth Bar lets the tide run up with such a force that any gale from the northwest, with the water low in the river, is bound to swamp everything. For the sake of increased harbour dues, the place will in time be wiped out. The salt water comes up the river now so far with every northwesterly wind that fishing or angling in the lower reaches as at Cantley and at Reedham is now quite a failure. The pressure of a huge influx of water found out a weak place in the walls at the Burney Arms End of Braden on December the 23rd, 1894. A heavy northwest gale had been blowing all the previous day, and two flood tides, without an ebb between them, that is, one tide following in the wake of the other, there having been no intermediate fall, piled up Braden four or five feet above the level of the marshes behind. The water filtered through a weak spot that had been overlooked by the tenant of the marshes, whose business it was to watch eventualities and be prepared against them, 
an ever-increasing volume of water poured in until a huge gap was torn and hundreds of thousands of tons of salt water swept into the marshes first filling the ditches and then flooding many acres before the tide began to fall again but before another tide could add to the inundation steps had been made to remedy the breach and the pump mills were set going night and day flinging the water back again curiously enough while the gale was at its height great flocks of lapwings were seen coming in from over the north sea dead beat as they always arrive by flying at more than right angles to the wind as is their wont on migration these settled in the lowlands being attracted by the pervading moisture and the millions of worms that came to the surface to die of the salts to their hosts were added huge flocks of various gulls that made the marshlands white with sea-fowl and that reminded ancient marsh dwellers of the days of their youth when similar sights were far less infrequent the usual onslaughts were made by the gunning fraternity and many a wretched lapwing never saw the new year it snowed four hours without ceasing on december the thirtieth and braden and the surrounding marshes were seen under quite another aspect to the delight of those devoted to gunning pursuits my notebook at this time refers to numbers of little orcs coming to grief flocks of shell ducks scalps scoters widgeon potchards golden eyes and others being driven into the neighbourhood i went to borough castle on january the seventh eighteen ninety five and saw astonishing numbers of gulls and lapwings still congregated on the opposite marshes not yet tired of their diet of earthworms as for ducks the oldest inhabitant in belton whom i interviewed notwithstanding his many winters experiences said he'd never known so many knocking about in that neighbourhood afore end of section two